Time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable discussion on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our our roundtable regulars, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good to have you as always. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, it's good to have you here. Thank you, Tom. And last but not least, um, a, uh, a very special guest today. He's uh, been a frequent uh, contributor to the Tom Sumner program, but this is his inaugural uh, uh, episode of Armchair Politics. Uh, joining us uh, is former White House staffer who served in high-ranking positions with the IRS and INS under two different presidents, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome uh, to the show. Well, it's about time, Tom, you asked me to join this group even for a cameo. I'm pleased to be here. <laughs> uh, well, we always, hi, Tom. we always start with uh, a, few, uh, a few quotes. And the first one is always a finish the quote. This is where I ask, how would you finish this quote? 
I don't know what a softball question is. All I know is I have no agenda. I ask short questions and what? How would you finish this quote? Expect mm, short right. answers. I was going to say and long answers. <laughs> 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 yeah, expect no grandstanding. Well, the, the original quote was, I don't know what a softball question is. All I know is I have no agenda. I ask short questions, and I listen to the answer. Oh. Uh, who do you oh, think said yeah. that? I'm trying to think. Will Rogers. Be a senator or somebody who's uh, asking questions at a hearing. Er, er, yeah. You're going to be just not at all surprised when I tell you that this was radio and TV talk show icon Larry King who passed oh, away. Oh, of course. Of course. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think I even read that in the last few days. That's a bad, bad start for me. I think <laughs> <laughs> Well, this isn't this isn't meant to to stump anybody. It's it's just we're just having fun with some uh, recent quotes. Um, that wasn't a recent quote, but uh, but he was recently in the news, as we all know, for because he passed away mm -hmm. this past week. Um, Let but, me say something on that, if I can. I say yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go bit? ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I first was in Washington, which you sort of referenced indirectly, uh, I worked work in the Reagan administration in 82, in July of 82. I took a one-year leave of absence. I went down to Washington I'm from, a, from a job in New York, and I never looked back. But um, I got married at the end of 84. And then uh, initially we, we lived up in Chevy Chase, Maryland. But then we went down. We, we bought a condominium right behind Iwo Jima. Uh, there was a oh. building that's still there, Prospect House, had the best views in Washington. If you like monuments, you can see, uh, you know, the Lincoln and the uh, uh, Washington Monument at the Capitol and the Jefferson. Larry King lived in that building. That was 1986. Oh, and, that's interesting. You know, because, yeah, he was, he did his show from Arlington for a while. And I don't know when he moved out to, to California, which he obviously did, but. He was very personable, you know. You, you know, sort of knew who he was. You didn't realize how you didn't realize quite how big he was, but he uh, there he was, and he was he was a perfectly nice guy. That's all I that's all I can tell you. Well, I first uh, got wise to Larry King when he was still with the Mutual Radio Network. That was before his his twenty five plus years in television. Um, a friend of mine said, "You got to hear this guy. He's great." And it was never because he was great. It was because he always had great guests, and he let them talk. Right. Right. Anyway. What I found jarring about him was he always addressed everybody by their first name. You know, it could be the Chief Justice. And uh, he would say, you know, William or whatever it is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he ever gave anybody a title, which I always... Because I was in the, you know, when you're in the government, it's very formal, Mr. Chairman, you know, Senator, so and so, or sure. Mr. Secretary. But he would say, "Well, what do you think, Jimmy?" When he's talking, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they say when he when he had Frank Sinatra on, um, everybody uh, uh, cautioned him ahead of time. Said, "Whatever you do, don't ask Frank about the kidnapping of Frank Jr." And so Larry was respecting that, never mentioned it, and something happened, and 
Frank Sinatra just started opening up, and he ended up talking for about 10 or 15 <laughs> minutes about that, about that kidnapping, and it was all because Larry knew how to stay out of the way. Right. I think I seen a clip of that this past week. Probably, probably, because yeah. it was uh, it yeah. was an, an unusual moment. Anyway, we have a couple more quotes that I want to squeeze in before we get to uh, some recent headlines. Um, here's one of the uh, quotes of the week: "You're going to have people who hear that from the president, and they're going to start doing dangerous and foolish things, which is the reason why immediately those of us who were not there said, this is something you should not do.'" Is that quote familiar to anybody? Uh, yes, I I remember reading it, but I don't remember um, who. That was what? that was Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious oh. disease expert. He said Monday evening he was extremely worried by former President Donald Trump's dangerous April suggest uh, suggestion that ingesting disinfectant could possibly be used to treat COVID-19. Which, if anybody saw that was not exactly what President Trump said at the time. But um, do people take things they hear from a president, especially President Trump, too literally? Yeah, that politically they take it. Oh, yeah, there's a big, there's a, yeah, clearly a big audience there, and when you have 300 million people, there's going to be some people who will take it that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, uh I live down in Mississippi, as you know, Tom, yeah. and um, yeah, I work a lot with my kids' schools, uh, and um, I remember in March of last year, I was a, a friend and colleague, we work on the, worked on the parent-teacher organization, and uh, I stopped by, I said, or I was going to see her at lunchtime, and I said, uh, this is, I said, uh, well, why don't I come by at lunch and give you the checks or something, and she said, oh, no, I can't do that. I said, how come? Because she was always available over her lunch hour. And she said, well, I've got to go to the store. The president has declared an emergency. And uh, this was you know, in the middle of March when, yeah. when Trump finally declared an emergency. Up until that point, she really had not reacted. And uh, this is an intelligent, uh, very uh, active in her community woman, a great person. When he said, no, this is an emergency, then she uh, swung into uh, motion. And, and of yeah, course... People, people do listen. People and, do listen. And right away we had to start making more toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. She was one of the group of people who went to Walmart that day and you couldn't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I re well, Paul, I remember Paul going out to uh, Meyer... Uh, which is uh, a chain similar to, to Walmart, but kind of regional, um, and uh, and maybe Walmart as well, and taking pictures of empty shelves and posting yeah, them online. Yeah, I recall yeah. Yeah, empty shelves all over the place yeah. of that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, I took some pictures of the empty shelves of toilet paper, but the Corona beer was still there. <laughs> That's right. You put them side by side. That was, that was funny. Um, the, the other quote I want to squeeze in before we have to go to break is, uh, people can decide for themselves if this is a just outcome, but I do think that when justice is not equal, it is not justice. Who do you hmm. think said that? We give Mark a little bit of a pass on this and, until it gets rolling. Oh. 
Flint, well, something with the Flint water crisis? No, no, I'm, yeah, that was no, Governor no. Gretchen Whitmer okay. saying that former Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick's crimes oh. were reprehensible, but the 28-year prison sentence he received was disproportionate to what others have received. Whitmer was reacting to uh, former President Donald Trump's uh, announcement that he had commuted Kilpatrick's sentence, which resulted in Kilpatrick being released last Wednesday, I think, from uh, federal prison after serving less than eight years of a 28-year sentence. And Kilpatrick said he plans a comeback. Does the commutation of his sentence open the door for Kilpatrick to run for mayor or something else in, in the Detroit area or even somewhere else? I don't think so. In fact, haven't we? Didn't Michigan pass shortly after the, after he was first uh, sentenced? Didn't we pass an amendment that said if you were convicted of a felony, you couldn't run for X number of years? I think that's part of our constitution right now. And this is Michigan constitution. But I can't remember how long that was. Yeah, I, I have to, I'd have to look it up myself. But it was a substantial length of time, I think. There's uh, another gentleman that's planning to run. One of Kilpatrick's friends. Uh, I just heard that. Yeah, run yeah, instead. So I yeah, don't know yeah. how that's going to play out. And Kilpatrick may not get all of the support he thinks he he can because his generation has moved on. You know, let me uh, jump in here. Yeah, I, go ahead, Mike. I did read about I did read about this because um, obviously there was a lot of coverage on the last minute pardons, and I just found it sort of fascinating. I. Uh, I was surprised. Uh, I didn't remember it being a 28-year sentence. That uh, strikes me as quite significant. And it's like the, you know, Blagojevich, the governor over in Illinois, too. Some of these, mm -hmm. some of the, some of the um, nonviolent crime sentences are really quite significant. And I think it's appropriate to throw the book at corrupt politicians. I get that, but. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. Trump's pardons were a, they were a real dog's breakfast of actions, except uh, for those few that really related to people who were inside cronies. But uh, it was interesting, and I, I, I was so, so struck by how passionate the people who are commenting on the former mayor were. He really obviously had a big impact on, on that city. So, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not so sure he can't make a comeback. Uh, Mary and Barry did pretty pretty well over the years in D.C. Coming back from, you know, being busted with uh, hookers taking cocaine, and uh, he he came back. So I that's that's I right. Think, yeah, yeah. I just don't think you can say categorically he's done. <laughs> you, you know, the the, <laughs> the biggest problem with uh, with Kwame was that he. Um, you know the old adage, Mark, uh, <laughs> for politicians, don't write anything down. That might have been for mobsters, but I think it works for both. But he had everything. <laughs> he had everything recorded in in text messages. Yeah. Huh. And yeah. so there, you know, there was a digital trail. We used to call it a paper trail. But um, he, you know, clearly put himself in harm's way. Right. But do you realize how much harm he did to that community? The community that looked like him, who trusted him, and he just did things that he should have never done. Well, and I think that's I think that's one of the reasons why the legislators wanted, well, the governor in particular wanted to put that ban on running again because 
he would still be electable in Detroit. Anyway, we've got to take a short break, but we'll continue armchair politics right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Tom Summer. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by uh, a former uh, federal official under two presidents, Mark Everson. And uh, welcome back, everybody. A federal judge has given preliminary approval to a proposed $641.25 million partial settlement of civil lawsuits against the state of Michigan and other defendants for the lead poisoning of Flint's drinking water supply in what would be the largest class action settlement in state history. Attorney fees and costs have still not been determined, but could account for up to one-third of the total settlement amount. They will be subject to the judge's approval at a later date. The court grants preliminary approval of this settlement, U.S. District Judge Judith Levy said in a 72-page opinion released Thursday. The preliminary approval, she said, will trigger a period of time during which the potentially tens of thousands of people included in the various classes can decide whether they want to participate in the settlement and or object to it. Opting out and suing separately is among the options. What advice would you give? Choose the settlement or opt out and sue separately? Um, I wouldn't sue separately. Yeah, I think given the time frame of most lawsuits, uh, uh, money in the hand may be better than money in the future. Take the cash payout? <laughs> yeah, like the, uh, the like the person from Novi did uh, just recently, or or may do. We still don't know. That. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, see, those individual lawsuits can take a long time, and who knows what the city's financial status will be five years down the road. So I, I mean, my gut reaction is probably to, to take the settlement now. I think. I would. I would follow that. And who's the settlement with Tom? You say again. Is it is it the city or is it it's city the, and the state? It's the state of Michigan. The city is participating. Um, its insurance company has put up some. What? How much is it? Is it twenty million? Uh, twenty million, I think, of that six hundred and forty-one million. Um, but there are a couple of uh, uh, contractors or consultants or something that are also named in the suit. Uh, I, I think there are four entities uh, that are participating. That sounds right. Yeah, that but, sounds right. But I, I $600 million of the $641 million is coming from the state of Michigan. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with uh, Paul and Henry on this, but it's these kinds of matters are, um, the system sort of takes over once you get into the legal piece with it, with... Um, with the plaintiff's lawyers and then, uh, you know, the entity that's being sued in the class action. Everybody, we're all used to get, you get, I get uh, once a month, I get something in the mail from the, a lawsuit against a cable company. Have you been damaged or this or that? And uh, mm. they're confusing, they're confusing to most people. So it would take somebody 
organizing a group of people, I think, and, 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 and as your as my panelists, all panelists are saying, it would take a long time to get any real satisfaction through a separate action. So you'd have to have a real reason, and, and I would suggest you'd have to have a very compelling individual who'd been damaged or died or something to, to get uh, to do better. Well, moving on, city council members still aren't ready to meet in person, but President Kate Fields says it's time to return to regular committee meetings that have been on hold since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. Fields said said, uh, she believes holding committee meetings virtually will help cut down on the length of regular meetings. (laughs) And and, uh, Mark wouldn't know this as well as everybody else on the panel, but Flint City Council meetings go well into the wee hours of the morning very often. Incredible. (laughs) Um, Some of those meetings have gone on for more than seven hours recently and have been uh, recessed to a second day because not all scheduled work was completed. Council committees are made up of all nine members of the council and typically have dealt first with city business before getting final approval of the council. Without them, members haven't uh, been able to publicly discuss issues or ask questions to representatives of Mayor Sheldon Neely until they reach the council for a first and final vote. Um, and, and pardon as I place my tongue in cheek when I ask, should the committee meetings resume? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, that, that might be a step, although given our, the, the council's behavior, I'm not sure that'll improve a lot of a lot of that, but yeah, one, one thing we've talked about before is the fact that if there's no committee meetings and they have to discuss everything in great detail in the council meeting, it, it, it are they takes... meeting in the committee of the whole or individual <laughs> committees where you have all uh, all the committees are chair com- them all the committees are committees of the whole with a different chair oh, for right. each one, and oh. um, it, and and like oh, with right. a lot of organizations. You know the the committees can then recommend a course of action to the council, and that tends to speed up the process a little bit in the in the open council meetings. Um, but uh, and that's and that's what she's saying that that um, and and we've gone through this thing about um, it, under the governor's uh, executive orders. Um, meetings, public meetings that are supposed to be open to the public could be held online um, and remotely. And then that got overturned, and then somewhere along the line it's been allowed again um, for meetings to be held remotely by some electronic means. And um, and, and so what... uh, what council president uh, fields is saying is that we got to bring the committee meetings back yeah i, I think it's probably a step in the right direction however <clears throat> i'm concerned about the fact i recall when they had the meetings in person that very often the the, com- the committee meetings would run so long that they wouldn't start the council meeting until two or three or four hours late so that just added to the length of the the overall meeting schedule but i recall they would have committee meetings before the scheduled council meeting but it always ran over, sometimes by many hours, and that just bumped back the council meeting until later into the evening or early into the morning sometimes. Well, it's been my experience uh, that uh, the committee as a whole uh, 
it's a waste of time unless you have something that's very, very critical that, that uh, requires the thinking of everybody who is equally talented to respond to the question or the issue. But generally, small committees are probably the most effective, at least in my experience, yeah. to do these things because you choose a chairman who understands the issues. And you choose people around you who also uh, understand better than others about those issues. And then you, you kind of discuss it and you recommend uh, an action to the, uh, to the process uh, to the council. And if yeah. you trust what the, the committee has done, you can move ahead. But if you don't, if nobody trusts anybody, you have to go through this committee of the whole all the time. You will very seldomly get anything done. Well, when I've been part of boards and committees, we always operated by the rule that uh, that work gets done in committee. Yeah. Yes, that, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, governor, you have right. right. When, when the committee gets too large, if you're just going to repeat this, if it's the same group as the full council you end up repeating the same things over and over much of the time. And I've been on some boards that did that, and it does make, it does make for a lot of duplicated work. So well, let me jump in. Yeah, go I ahead, Tom, on this. Uh, just listening to this um, sort of reminds me when I was a runner back in, the, when I was over in boarding school, my coach said, you know, you don't tell a runner who's not doing well in the races don't run for a while. I mean, you, you try to make changes in the system. It doesn't sound like it's functioning that well, but to say you're not going to have these committee meetings, to me, that makes no sense. And it, it's part of a broader problem that, that I see yes. across the country where, you know, because of the pandemic, certain things, people are being given a pass on certain things. They're not doing their jobs in certain ways. And uh, I get it. It's a very serious issue. I'm not saying it's not. But wherever possible, particularly public servants, need to be doing their work. And that conveys to everybody else that, uh, geez, we're doing our job. We expect you to do your job, too. So I'm with uh, the panelists say, fix this. Don't, don't just eliminate it uh, with the excuse of the pandemic because it's uncomfortable. Fix it and limit, yeah. the, limit the committee meetings to shorter, shorter periods. <laughs> yes. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer said Tuesday she wants to know whether any of the self-described militia groups Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky met with last year to help them with their messaging were involved in the alleged plot to kidnap her. Shirky, a Republican from Clark Lake, needs to answer some tough questions, Whitmer said at a news conference, speaking from Washington, D.C., where she was preparing to attend the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden. On Wednesday, was that just a week ago? Man, it's hard to believe it. It, it, seems, for start, it seems so much longer than that. But that's <laughs> I just realized that. Um, the Free Press first reported in October on a May 18, 2020 interview Shirky gave to JTV in Jackson, in which he said militias, private armed paramilitary organizations, often self-described as militias that have proliferated in Michigan for decades are getting a bad rap and composed of people not uniquely different from you and me. Should self-described militias get a bad rap? Well, there have certainly been some incidents lately to, that don't, don't reflect well on them for openers. I mean, uh, clearly maybe they are some people who are just playing with guns and having a good time, but 
there have certainly been some incidents around, obviously the one in the Capitol, among other things. What is their mission? First of all, you have to understand. Yeah, well, that's, understand that's the question. The if you're going to call yourself a militia, what is your mission? Is it to go out and shoot the Capitol up or kill people that you don't like or don't look like you? What is the mission? Kidnap if the they, governor? If they have no <laughs> surreptitious motives, then I think that the government should leave them alone. They should have the same rights that everybody else does. Free speech, free movement, stuff like that. Because if you begin um, taking the freedom away from skinheads and Ku Klux Klansmen and uh, militias, you will then begin on somebody else. It, it doesn't stop there. So, and the Constitution guaranteed these people the right to have free speech. It's the government's role to make sure they minimize the impact of whatever these groups do. They can't have it all that way. But they should have the freedom of speech and movement. What were you saying, Paul? I was going to say, you, you separate speech from action. Yeah, you've got the right to be a to be a Klansman, to be a Nazi, to be a communist, or being a lot of things. But when you take certain actions, and that, that's where you cross the line. Yes. Free, free speech should be nearly absolute, but the, when you cross the line of action. And as I say, for the militias, if there's, if there's something, some, some of these guys may just want to run around the woods with guns and, you know, play soldier, I suppose. Others may have more ominous intent behind their, their actions, and you can separate the two out. Well, let's move on. Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Director Robert Gordon has resigned from his position as the head of the State Department handling the state's coronavirus response, he announced in a tweet Friday afternoon. Today I am resigning from the Whitmer administration. It's been an honor to serve alongside wonderful colleagues. I look forward to the next chapter. Uh, he tweeted uh, from his verified Twitter account. A few minutes later, a release from Governor Gretchen Whitmer's office confirmed his resignation and announced the appointment of uh, Elizabeth Hertel to lead the department. Gordon has shouldered most of the responsibility for shutting down and reopening sectors of Michigan's economy to address the coronavirus crisis since this fall when the Michigan Supreme Court struck down the legal underpinnings of Whitmer's moves to do so via executive order. It's Gordon's sign-off that ushered in the February 1st restaurant opening uh, announced uh, earlier on Friday. However, the governor has infrequently showcased Gordon in her press conferences instead, typically announcing changes herself and relying on the medical expertise of Chief Medical Officer Dr. Joan A. Caldoun who works in the department. How significant is it that Gordon said he was resigning from the Whitmer administration? <laughs> I was struck by that. And I, I, <laughs> did anybody see her press conference was it a day, couple of days ago where she was asked about whether he left voluntarily and yes. for the most part refused. It was kind of fudged around the edge of the yeah. question. Yeah. Didn't really answer it. So she I claimed it was not totally voluntary. Yeah. I just think it's, I think the way someone says something can often mean a lot more than what was said. Yeah, I was yeah, struck by that phrase when I saw it too. Yeah. 
I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the whole story behind the friction between her and the governor, between him and the governor was, but uh, somehow it certainly doesn't look like a voluntary leaving. Well, and the free press. Tom, they, the free press. They called that in the Bible. They call speaking like you say in 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 They call it um, ambiguous in the Bible. Yeah, in the Bible they call it. Oh, it just escaped me. And I, and I thought it was interesting that the free press uh, made sure to point out that the governor infrequently showcased Gordon in her press conferences. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah they called it parables in the in the Bible. She was talking in parables. Oh, I see what you're saying, Henry. Yeah. Um. A Michigan man who allegedly entered the U.S. Capitol building during the January 6th insurrection will stay locked up pending transfer to Washington, D.C. to face charges. Carl Dresch, 40, is charged with obstructing an official proceeding, a 20-year felony, and misdemeanors of knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds and violent entry and disorderly conduct on the Capitol grounds. U.S. Magistrate Judge Martine Vermat was uh, concerned about firearms and ammunition Dresch had in his Calumet home in the Upper Peninsula and statements he made on Facebook both while in Washington and after he returned home. The FBI recovered an SKS rifle with an unattached bayonet, a shotgun, and a 40 caliber uh, Glock handgun, along with ammunition for the firearms in search of his home. Dresch, with a 2013 felony conviction for fleeing and eluding police in Wisconsin, was not allowed to possess firearms. There was no evidence presented Friday to show that Dresch brought firearms to Washington, but Assistant U.S. Attorney Theodore Greeley said that an Atlanta Braves backpack Dresch had on Capitol grounds was found containing ammunition during the search of his house. It also held a bus card from Washington and a walkie-talkie, Greeley said. Does the presence of firearms in the Capitol breach um, not just by uh, by this guy, but any of the people that were part of that, suggest an intent to do harm? I think the, the firearms plus a lot of no. other things suggested the, the, the... I mean, I'm thinking of the uh, the zip ties especially so suggested that to me when I saw something. Maybe as much Are you as talking the about the U.S. Capitol or the Michigan Capitol? No, the U.S. Capitol in this particular yeah. case. Oh, uh, well, I, I don't know what the code uh, for guns are there, but but I believe now in Michigan there's a prohibition against it. I don't know whether they have that again in Washington. But they probably will. You got to consider clearly there seems like there was some intent to do harm from at least a good many people between Molotov cocktails and zip ties and some of the chants that were going on as they entered the Capitol. And uh, whether guns would be a part of it or not, it's hard to say, but Clearly, it doesn't. It doesn't. The whole atmosphere didn't suggest a uh, a uh, a civil motive behind all of that. Mark, did you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I was going to say first. I, well, what's this guy doing with an Atlanta Braves uh, backpack? <laughs> He's an unusual guy, anyway. That's, That's right. Down here, yeah, in, in the here Upper Peninsula in Michigan, he should yeah. be for the Packers. 
That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So he's an unusual guy to begin with. But, you know, these, uh, I think these people fall into at least four different buckets. There are plenty of good conservative Republicans who went to that rally and um, they heard the president speak or others speak, and then they didn't uh, necessarily walk up to the Capitol. Then there were people who walked up to the Capitol. They've been encouraged to do so when they went up there. And then there were some of them who, uh, you know, had weapons perhaps who um, might have stayed outside but not pressed to go in. And that's one thing. And then there are folks who went in and whether or not they had weapons, uh, you know, obviously if they had a weapon that would, I bet if you're a Capitol police officer and you see somebody and he's got a, a weapon or something dangerous, you're going to react differently when they come across through that, uh, through that barricade. And uh, yeah, I do think there is a difference and people know when they're going into a protest uh, uh, or uh, some sort of a demonstration Everybody who's an adult knows that there's some risk, however small, that people they're with could become, uh, oh, uh, break the law or get out of uh, get out of hand. You just know that if you're if you're at a demonstration, it's 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 part of the the beast. So yeah, I think it's wrong for somebody to carry a weapon in that circumstance and uh or at least they have to know that that's even if they have the right to do so that they're taking a real chance mark in in the case where you say there are people that go in and robust and and authoritative and uh pushy and stuff like that they used to call that uh in our neighborhood selling wolf tickets and that could get out of line they're People randomly, at, at random, dispersed in every crowd like that, and they could trigger yeah. something that's very violent. Yes, that's that's right. And my goodness, this is a. I'm sure you talked about this last week, last two weeks, Tom. But uh, one of the things that's astounding to me is the total failure of law enforcement there, because yes, they anticipate that kind of human behavior. When people are in crowds, there's a range of there's a range of participants, but and it, it, the, the more that comes out here, the worse law enforcement looks with FBI yeah. reports, <laughs> FBI reports that Nor- the Norfolk uh, field office had intelligence saying there's going to this could get quite rough. And uh, did it go up into the front office? And why wasn't it shared? And just the last day or two, the head of the National Guard said, well, he was told he had to stand down unless he got higher authority. I mean, everybody looks terrible in this. Uh, and of course, whatever you think of Trump's role in this, um, this was a volatile situation, without doubt. And uh, when you add the when you add weapons to it, it makes it even worse. And it's to me, uh, given the fact that there were weapons there, it's quite amazing that there wasn't more loss of life than there was. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And and when you talk about the failure of law enforcement and who had intelligence, even uh, who had intelligence, even the uh, Capitol. Uh, police uh, acting chief um, admitted that they had information that wasn't yes. acted on and and basically apologized when he spoke with uh, with Congress about it anyway yes. we've got another break coming up and uh, we're we're working our way we're getting very very close to some of the national headlines and there are a bunch 
Um, we'll uh, be back with more armchair politics after we let our broadcast partners, WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint, uh, squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we'll uh, have some messages as well. Then we'll return with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We will be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our weekly roundtable featuring our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter and we're joined by Mark Everson a uh, a former uh, high-ranking official in two different presidential uh, administrations Um, an organization called US term limits applauds the decision of Judge Janet Neff to dismiss without merit a lawsuit attempting to overturn Michigan's term limits on state officials. Former state legislators and lobbyists challenged a voter-initiated amendment, which has been on the books for nearly 30 years, um, the limitations on terms of office of state legislators imposes a lifetime limit on state representatives of three two-year terms, a total of six years, and limits state senators to uh, two four-year terms, or a total of eight years, um, the case, uh, Cowell and All versus Benson, uh, was filed by 10 former legislators, six of whom are lobbyists disgruntled by the term <laughs> limits law. Rather than honor the will of Michigan voters, these politicians are trying to get the court to overturn the people's term limits, said Scott Tillman of Kentwood, Michigan. He continued, this is why term limits are so popular. Politicians get a taste of power and no longer represent what their constituents want. In the brief, Michigan's Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson responded that the rights of elected officials should not supersede the rights of the voters of Michigan who passed Proposal B in 1992 by a vote of 58.7% in favor. Judge Neff agreed. The term limits amendment was previously challenged and upheld as constitutional by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in 1998. That decision affirmed the merits that term limits maintain the integrity of the democratic system by fostering electoral competition, enhancing the lawmaking process, curbing special interest groups, and decreasing political careerism. Uh, The people love term limits because they take power from lobbyists and politicians, explained Tillman. Um, Are term limits really taking away power from lobbyists? Could I ask a question first, Tom? Yeah. Uh, I missed it if you said it. Is this in the Michigan Constitution or was this a statutory act? It's it's an amendment to. Right. so, So it's in the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And and Tom, that's why question, these... I was going to say that term limits probably enhance the power of lobbyists because uh, that makes the lobbyists much more part of the permanent system. And the, you know, the, the lawmakers change every six or eight years, and the yes. lobbyists are there year in and year out. So, I, from the lobbyist point of view, term limits may enhance the power of lobbyists in some ways. 
I actually agree yeah. with that entirely. Uh, yeah. I, uh, Tom, you know that I worked. Uh, Mitch Daniels had been my boss in uh, the Bush administration, second Bush administration, when he ran OMB, and then he went to become governor of uh, Indiana. And I worked for Mitch in his second term from 2009 for several years. And I'd, I'd had the two stints under Reagan in the first or the second Bush, as you indicate. Uh, and what was shocked me, or what shocked me, too strong a word, but what was so clear to me when I went to the state level was the total lack of of uh, in-depth oversight that came from the legislature, because um, which is a part-time legislature, compared to the federal system where you have committee staffs that are, uh, you know, somebody's on the Intelligence Committee or somebody's on the Judiciary Committee as a staff for 20 or 30 years, let alone the members themselves that are there sometimes for decades. And what happens at the state level, because they don't have those resources, those staffs, and the members are so they're part-time and they're, they're thinly stretched, um, they are, as was just indicated, they're totally dependent on, on, the, on the conservative side, the Chamber of Commerce, and on the, on the liberal side, the, you know, the unions. Uh, the memory system. The, it, it, and that's right. So I agree with that, that uh, uh, sometimes if somebody's there for 10 or 20 years, I would have your, your senator, former senator, Carl Levin. He was unbelievably intelligent, articulate. I testified before Carl's uh, committee, subcommittee on oversight and investigations a number of times. And the fact that he had all those years and that he had staffers who'd been there years that made him pretty effective in what he did. Yeah, I think when yeah. when they talk about um, this this notion that it, that somehow term limits take power away from lobbyists, it's a little misleading. And uh, people in Michigan and I think other states that have term limits um, are are still very strongly in favor of term limits, and. Uh, for all the right reasons, but I don't think they understand how term limits really end up working. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, in terms of the case you mentioned, I'm, I mean, I'm not a fan of term limits either, but I I think it's a stretch to find them unconstitutional. I, I'd rather see the Michigan law, Michigan provision repealed by, by an amendment or by legislative process rather than a, a court order, because I think it is a stretch to, to find them unconstitutional, but I think they're generally not a good idea from my point of view. <laughs> I don't like term limits either. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that they take away the the power of the elected official and they leave it to uh, staff and and also lobbyists. Those are the guys who are running Lansing in Washington. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to quote uh President Bartlett from my favorite TV show The West Wing when he said uh it turns out we already have term limits. They're called elections. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. right. Let me, if I exactly. can make one additional point here, Tom, though, um, yeah. I think you would re recall um, from when I had my long shot campaign in 15, I do believe that the president, and you could argue the same thing for governors, should have a single term in office because when the president takes that oath of office to the constitution of the country serve the country he or she should put behind all the party loyalty the party position gets yeah. you into that position but you shouldn't be consumed with um 
with uh, politic politics anymore when you're in that position. I think that's different than the senator or the representative who's there to, uh, it, of course, they have that same, largely the same oath, but they, they are representative of, of individual parts of the country, and that's a little bit different than, than the executive. The executive is there not to set the policy, but to execute the policy, and I think that is where the term limit should be. Mm-hmm. Well, President Joe Biden issued a call for national unity during his inauguration speech on Wednesday, stressing that he would be a president for all Americans. Days before Biden's speech, presumptive incoming Michigan GOP chair Ron Weiser sent an email to donors and constituents with a similar plea for unity, but specifically among Republicans as Donald Trump prepared to leave office. Quote, I, along with my incoming co-chair, Mishan uh, Maddock, are issuing a plea, he wrote in an email obtained by MLive, unite now so we can destroy the work of those who are working to undermine and destroy the very values that built our country. Is that unity? <laughs> you know, I, uh, that, may I say something? Yes. I, I wish Joe Biden the best while he's in office. I hope he will be successful for the good of the country. And I hope that um, it was the intent of those who shaped the Constitution, who organized, developed the Constitution and passed it, that we would work together during each administration and not divide ourselves. Um, And uh, what we have today is dangerous division. And uh, I don't know whether... Unless Republicans come out and support Joe Biden, they don't have to agree with him on everything, but they should uh, kind of avoid uh, more of the distractions from uniform government, lest we will certainly lose the republic if we haven't lost it already. Well, I I remember when Mitch McConnell uh, said after Barack Obama was elected that it was it was their mission to uh, see that I this know guy that. not be successful. That was a bad thing to say. That division has been there for a long time. I mean, Trump didn't certainly didn't help it in any way, but it's certainly been there before Trump in many ways. But we can't continue to live the way that we are. You know, my thought is though I I thought that the speech that Biden had was very very good. But I think in the final analysis, it's going to be results that are going to bring it, bring the country together. It's not going to be a speech from anybody. But I think if if we finally get the epidemic under control, if the economy gets back on track, and you know if, if things begin falling in place, I think that may be a step in that in the right direction. I, I say it with my fingers crossed, more so than anything. And we have to reduce the assault on free speech and uh, mobility and stuff like that. We've got to do that. We're moving too far uh, toward totalitarianism. And, uh, and once we get there, we can't back out. The, 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 the kind of government that follows a democracy is fascism. And uh, guys, look how we're talking. People want Republicans killed. They want them muzzled. They want them put in concentration camps. This is what we did in the Second World War in 1942. We did the Japanese and the Chinese that way without thinking it through. 
And, and here we've got, and, and in this yeah. particular story, we've got the Michigan GOP chair, you know, saying we've got to undermine and destroy, or, or uh, yeah, we've got to destroy the work of those who are working to undermine us, basically, is what he's saying. Yeah, well, that, that, that's unfortunate. Yeah. That's been there for a while, those, the warring camps. Well, we're going yeah, to yeah. move on to Washington here in the next half. Um, We've got to take a short break for uh, show ID and so on, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics. Let me say one quick thing, Tom. I think you've sort of appropriated the whole national issues in your discussion of Michigan. <laughs> Every time Washington keeps coming up and everything I am you're Alexander Zanjic, don't I, touch I do that try dial. to do that. You're listening we'll be to back Tom with Sunday. more right after this.